it'll be good. A little bit of an adventure today. <laughs> but I'm really excited about this material because I told you we're going to talk about Purim. And last night I heard Rabbi Gordon speak. And what he said, one of the points that he made tied together like all these other things I had been learning about Purim. So it was rather late to get it in. But at the same time, it held everything together. So I'm still on that sort of high where you learn something new that's like a whole different thing. Um, plus, there's all that caffeine. Plus, I didn't sleep. So I'm really quite flying around. So let me know if I stop making sense or fall asleep in the middle. Just wake me up. And Okay. So technically, the topic is what is the purpose of Purim? Like that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, was, that, I thought that was exciting, too. All right. Purim, 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 Purim. I have like a bunch of questions. Like I said, I wanted to really like run through all the questions first. Do one of those, you know how rabbis do this, right? They give you all the questions and then they give you like the principles and then you come around and see how it all answers together. You're not going to get that because I didn't get to rewrite it all out. <laughs> You're going to have to reorganize all this information on your own afterward. But, but let me start with, there, there are a bunch of questions um, and we're just going to get to them as we get to each topic because I didn't do that. But the first question is something that once I realized it, I was a little bit like, I can't believe I never thought of this question before. There's a lot of questions like that, right? You get those. Okay. Amalek. We learn about Amalek. We've heard it many times. Amalek is the gematria of suffake, right? Suffake, doubt. In other words, right. casting a doubt, saying, well, maybe, I don't know, let's slow down. It may not be so right. He cooled you off on the way, right? right? Like, you have this burning passion and zeal and drive. And he steps in and says, you know, cool, cool off. It's all good. Don't worry about it. You know, it's probably not such a big deal. Okay, this kind of like cooling you off thing. Well, you never know. It could be a doubt. I'm not sure that's really what the science is showing right now. Hello. Good morning. Right? So uh, we know this, right? Amalek equals suffolk. It's an effort to undermine what you what you know and what you're sure about. Amalek is is associated with late sanus. Okay, so that's I'm gonna share with you some some things from Pachad Yitzchak on on why Amalek is associated with late sanus. But I'm assuming you've heard this concept before. And then the question is, hang on, we this time of year we constantly talk about that. Amalek, late sanus, Amalek, doubt, Amalek maybe atheism, right? We keep talking about Amalek this time of year. We keep talking about doubt this time of year. Where exactly does that battle play out in Purim? Like, there's a story of the Megillah. Do, do you see a head-to-head -head clash? I mean, between Amalek and the Jews, yes, but, but where, do, where does the suffix come in? I, I can't say that it was obvious once I asked myself that question. Where, where's that, where is the characteristic battle of Amalek versus the Jew in Purim? It's an interesting well, question. Is it the yes, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, it's going to be in everything, but, but I can't say, for all the fact that I've heard probably over a dozen Shiorim on that topic at this time of year, I can't say I ever heard anyone actually point in the Megillah to a struggle between the characteristics of Amalek. And, uh, you know, I mean, Haman's got his Avodah Zarah. That's Avodah Zarah. That's not an Amalek thing, Avodah Zarah, so much, I don't think. Like, so where is that coming from? So step one is this Pachad Yitzchak, which is actually the first Indian in the Pachad Yitzchak on Purim. And, sorry, I'm, we're, we're not going to go through the whole Pachad Yitzchak here, obviously, the whole Indian, but I do want to bring some, raise some key points. With regard to late sanus, late sanus is mocking something, right? Saying something cynical. A cynical statement diffuses a lot of idealism. You may have noticed that in your own experience, right? A bunch of people who are idealistic and one person who's like, yeah, yeah, you know, y'all mean well, and it just gone, right? That's, that's a shirkar over Okay, so with regard to the laws of late sanus, we learn that it is usur. This is a Gemara. It's usher. It's usher to be to make cynical comments that undermine 
people's enthusiasm. Okay, you got to be really careful. Um, you know, he, there isn't a source here, but we could look it up. I said that before I turned on the recording. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> my CEO would have my head. He's always like, stop apologizing, Sarah, stop apologizing. So I did it without the recorder on. Okay. Kolitz Anusa Asira. All Leitz us it had nothing to do with the Shira, though. It had to do with Purim. All Leitz us is Asir. Chutzmi Leitz Anusa Devodazara. It's in a Rashi. I don't know what Gemara this is, but you see it in the Rashis. Um, this, in Rashi and Chumash, he brings this halacha that you're allowed to make fun of a vodazara, right? I, I'm, I'm struggling to remember where that Rashi appears. I think, I think it's somewhere where the name of the vodazara is written in the Torah, but it's written in a funny way. But I've definitely seen it in a Rashi where he says you can make fun of the name of an vodazara. All leitzanus is usher, except leitzanus that undermines a vodazara. That's permitted. Okay. So he, the Pachad Yitzchak starts by talking about that. And he says, what is it, what is it about Leitzanus? So we could understand from that statement that probably you could have Leitzanus about anything that's really bad. Not only Avodah Zarah, probably. So why did Chazal then point specifically to Avodah Zarah? Like, what is it about Avodah Zarah that specifically goes with, that Leitzanus would be okay in that type of situation, even not in other ones? So then he quotes Rabbeinu Yonah, and this is actually a rather famous, perhaps because it's at the beginning, perhaps because it's awesome. He quotes Rabbeinu Yonah, and, and this Rabbeinu Yonah is probably most well-known because Rav Hutner talks about it, which is um, on, on the Pasuk, Mitzarif lachasef vekur lazahav ve'ish lafi mahalalo. A man is known according to mahalalo. So the normal shot of that traditionally has been you know a person by how they are praised. Listen, listen to what people say about them. Calling about Shaduchim, tell me about this person. Listen to how they praise them. And you get a sense of who they are and what they're like. But Rabbeinu Yonah says, no, that's not what that Pasuk means. What that Pasuk means is, Ishlafi Mahalalo, you can tell a person by what he praises. Listen to a person. Listen to the things he expresses are important. What kind of people does he talk about? Does he admire? Does he think are amazing? And then you know the quality of the person. And he gives a lot of examples of this. So he quotes Rabbeinu Yonah, If this is a person who praises good deeds and wise people and righteous people, then you know and you have examined him, right? you've tested him, and you know that this is a good person. And there is a, a solid root of righteousness inside this person and justice. It doesn't mean the person is perfectly pure. This is very reassuring, perhaps, right? It doesn't, the person may have sins inside of them. It doesn't mean they're perfect. But he is a lover of that which is good and right. It's interesting, right? If this person is fundamentally a just, tzaddik-related person, why? Not because they're perfectly righteous, but because that's what they admire. And someone who is mishabeach, someone who praises maisim megunim, o mehalal rishayim, I, I got to tell you, in this world, you go, listen to people, listen to the things people, you're complimenting who about politics? Sorry? <laughs> I mean, you may have to have an informed discussion about the situation and who you're going to vote for and who you think is going to be least worst or most best or something, but, but you're praising this person, really? That's, that's what you praise? What do, what do you hear? What do your children hear out of your mouth? Is it about cars? Is it about movies? Is it about movie stars? Is it about big financiers? What are they hearing? What, what are we hearing from ourselves, right? That person is a Russia Gumwar, says Rabbeinu Yonah. That's a little hard to hear, right? If the, what a person praises are despicable actions or praising wicked people, wicked people, so that tells you where a person's holding. Okay. Rav Hutner says you could rephrase the question this way. In what direction does the person incline himself to like be mevato himself? Where does the person humble himself toward? When someone walks into the room, 
How does he react? Let's say you have two people in the room. One of them has been learning Torah every day, full time, sitting in yeshiva, sitting in kolel, with hasmada from the time he's young. The second one has never sat in, in a yeshiva. He's never learned Torah. He's been working since he's 15 years old. But we find that the first one, who's sitting in kolel and learning all the time, he's been there for 20 years, right? So now they're 40 years old or 35 years old. And a very wealthy person walks in. And he stands up and he flatters him. And the smile changes and he stands straighter. And the other one, and another person walks in who's a big Talmud Chacham. But he's not so influential, right? How do these two people react? Go see. Ishlafi Mahalalo. Go see. What does a person praise? What do they value? You go see what they value, you have a measure of the inside person. And Rav Huttner is very strong on it because of this. He says, I have heard this from Robertson David in seminary, quoting her father, different times on different subjects, the same message. Okay? How do you know the person? Look at what they praise. Look what direction they're looking. What, where are they headed? It doesn't go by where you are on the ladder, but which way are you pointing on your ladder? That's how you know the gauge of a person. Okay, so he says maybe we have, oh, see, I mean a little heart right here. I don't do that usually in Sfarim. <laughs> okay, so maybe it's true. We've got one person who's a, who knows a lot more Torah, and we have a second person who has not activated the power of Torah within himself. However, the person whose koach hakaras hachashivus, whose power of of acknowledging importance is directed toward Torah, this person is in a direction of being drawn in the, towards Torah. He's being mekarived to Torah. And that matters more than the amount of Torah he's achieved. And the second person who has learned all his life, but really what he's really thinking about is the money and what's going on outside the yeshiva walls that person is not holding in the same place as the person who's working his whole life, but whose head and whose heart are turned toward Torah. He said it could be that the one who's learned through his whole youth, now in, the, in midlife, nahafochu, right, for Purim. It's all turned over. And really, he regrets that he hadn't gone into business when he was young. And the, sec and the second one, sorry, who's been working all of his young years, he's put all his, I gave my best years to business, and he regrets that he didn't learn more Torah. He wishes he could learn more. Maybe that second, not maybe. He doesn't say maybe. That was me softening it, not speaking directly. That second one is closer to Torah than the first one. Yeah, did you just want to ask something? That. Well, I was going to say, there's a novelty in everything. Okay, it good. Mean, it doesn't mean that this guy is not a good guy, the guy who's in the Koilo. It's just that he's done it. He's right. seen the good and the bad of it, and the other guy's seen the good and the bad of right. business. So whatever you haven't done is attractive. The grass is always greener. Okay, so it's good. Like a little unfair. I mean, I right. can't say it's unfair. He's not unfair, saying that the Koilo-lite are bad, right? He's just saying you could have a person. Right. That's, uh, it, he also you doesn't see, say you, you can't see, turn you around. You see the whole picture, and it's right. not so, you know, per right. picture, picture perfect anymore. Right. right, and where the place you haven't been. Okay, you could also say that a person can also turn himself around. I mean, a person can go through a phase in life where maybe because they have financial difficulty, all the more so they respect, right, and they're looking for, or they need it. You know, if you've ever run an organization, it's really hard not to flatter people. <laughs> you need their money. It's really hard. On the other hand, on the other hand, it doesn't mean you're always holding there. But it's a scary, it's a scary musser. And it's unusual. Even the way that Rabbeinu Yonah puts it, it's pretty harsh. I mean, you're talking about musser. Like, musser's not always so... My son and my husband always have this conversation. My husband says, only the, there's only a few people that should really be sitting in Kolal. And my son says, no, the, the ones that are struggling with it and they're still sitting in Kolal, like that's to be right. admired. If your head is like, you know, right. thinking about business, but you're sitting down right. and trying, then that's... It, that so could also be. I'm, I'm saying, but that's, that. okay, this, this touches on something that we didn't fully talk about when we talked about Yates there. Uh, 
right? So we did a, we did like a few sessions about Yetzer and the, and having to use the head to regulate that emotional pull, right? But we didn't talk about like what is it about the head that could regulate the emotional pull? Because our experience is that if you just use that as your rule of thumb, like let your head guide your heart, this came up at your house, yeah. right? And I felt bad that we couldn't address it more because it's a, a very fraught question. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not a useful rule by itself mm-hmm. because you can't just deny the heart over and over and over again and like think that that will be. But what, what happens with the head is that feeling that there's something I desperately want you can want something so much <coughs> that you don't mind leaving other things aside, right? If you really want um, to lose weight, I'm, I don't want to <laughs> use that example. Like no, like, no, the uh, no. If you, really if you really, okay, if you really want to learn. And it's, it's like something, you know, if, you're, if you've cried yourself to sleep saying, I can't go on like this. I have to know more. I have to figure out how to change myself. I can't continue being this person. I can't have another Rosh Hashanah go by with the exact same list of resolutions for year 21, right? <laughs> so, you know, I, don't, I just Xerox it. I don't even have to do a Cheshvan on Efesh, right? I just Xerox the one from 15 years ago. Okay, when, when you finally, like, cry to yourself over that and you say, I cannot go on like this, then the fact that you're going to say to yourself, okay, so what will it take to change? You're excited to do that. Meaning, yes, there might be a yetzer or a pull, but the, the desire for something long-term that's passionate is what allows you to overcome your yetzer. Now, that's, that's important because you start to appreciate the, the damage of Amalek in Asher Karcha Baderech, in cooling you off. When, in undermining that late sonus of Amalek, in undermining the the deep passion, the the labas esh, the flame inside your heart, right, that burns. What are you left with? What are you left with in order to be able to to make the right choices? Because just a dry intellect doesn't get you there. It has to be that that intellectual drive is functioning together with what we'd call rutzon, will, real will. Okay, a yetzer is not will because it just comes and goes, you know, like you want it, and if you can resist long enough, you know, like it goes, like walk out. If you can get out of the donut store without the donut, you don't find that down the block you're still craving a donut. Like it comes, it goes, whatever. Rutzon is something that's much more long-term thinking. Okay, I want to come back to this, though. All right, I, I agree with you. These are hard words he's saying. And yet, they're very valuable. Listen to a person. Listen to who they praise. Listen to who they get excited about and what they get excited about. And you will know something about the person. All right. This comes up in the Megillah, too. Listen to Haman. Listen to what he talks about. Listen to what excites him. Ahasuerus listened. He learned something. Okay. This is what Rabbeinu Yona calls koach ha-hilol, the power of praise. So what is leitzanus? Leitzanus is an undermining of chashivos, saying that isn't really so important. Whereas mehalalo, that which a person praises, is mehalel, that is an ascribing or a recognizing of the importance and deep value of something. Leitzanus, cynicism, undermines the value of something. As well, it's not so, right? I dream of learning in Kola. Well, if you were in Kola, you'd see it isn't so, you know, <laughs> right? Uh, it's not that it's so perfect, but there's, there's a way of talking that can undermine that which really deserves to be praised. Okay. So there is a battle then between the power of Hilul, of recognizing and ascribing importance to something, and the power of Leitzanus, what you might call chilul. Hilul versus chilul. Chilul as in making it halal, like emptied out, cored out from the inside, and hilul, which is praising it. Okay, that is, that is the battle, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And the chilul and hilul. That's pretty classic Rav Hutner to do that. 
to find two words that are almost the same and like play them against each other. Okay, and what is the ultimate form of leitzanus? The ultimate chilul, avodah zara. Why? Because avoda service, means putting yourself, putting yourself at the service of something, ascribing great importance to it. It's the ultimate chashivus. The ultimate ascribing or halal of something is avoda. And zara or alilim, an idol, is the ultimate thing that doesn't actually have a value. Something that has nothing to it, right? They have eyes and they cannot see. They have ears and they cannot hear. So you have no greater falsehood than an elil and no greater, no greater chashivas applied to it than avoda. And that's why that's the one place where you can use leitzanos. It's to undo, right, to, to take out a chashivas where it should never have been put. Okay. And he says that's what asher korcha is. All right. So this is kind of like our background. So theoretically, we should be seeing this playing out between Haman and Mordechai and Esther. We should be seeing some kind of battle on that. And, and where does that come from? So there's a Gemara, which I, it's, I believe it's in Megillah Yudbeis, but I didn't go find it, um, that discusses a conversation between Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his Talmidim. And the Talmidim want to know, why did the Jews deserve to have a Gezerah against them that everyone should die? Why should everybody die? What's, what's the reason? And there are two reasons given, one by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and one by the students of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. One reason is, Nehenu misudaso shal They enjoyed the meal of Achashverosh. And the other reason is because they bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. The statue of Nebuchadnezzar, everyone had to bow down. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah didn't bow down. Daniel didn't bow down. But there were people who bowed down. They didn't believe in it. They didn't think this really was an Avodah Zarah. They under, I mean, they didn't believe there was any power to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, the Jews. But they bowed down because they were afraid. They said, look, here we are in Gullus. We don't see the presence of God. We, it seems that he's probably abandoned us. Right? He's thrown us out of the land. He's destroyed the Beis HaMikdash, our way of getting close to him. Here we are in Bavel. So who's got the power? Clearly, Nebuchadnezzar's got the power over here, and God has kind of abandoned us into nature. Right? His face is hidden in Gullus. And um, we're going to have to, we're going to have to bow, kowtow, basically. We don't believe in it, but we have to preserve ourselves. That was kind of the thinking. It was like a facade. A facade. They bowed down. It wasn't because anyone believed. I mean, not because the Jews certainly weren't believing that any, there was any power to this. But they did bow down to the idol. And that is the reason, I think that's Rabbi Shemberg Heiser, I'm not sure, either him or his Talmidim. That's the reason why they deserved this gezerah that came up soon afterward with Ahasuerus and Haman. Okay, but now, if you're, yeah. If, if you're supposed to do that to preserve yourself, you're not. It's your heart Yavor. You're supposed to die rather than do that. Oh. Why? Because when you have that much love for God, or when you realize, when you have, when you recognize the chashivas of God in your life, when you can see His hand in your life, you would never betray Him for anything. It is. It is in fact not worth living if it would mean betraying all of God's goodness to you. There's another life to continue on with. But there's not much of a life worth living in this world or the next if you betray your relationship with God. It's not worth living, okay? Life is almost always worth living under any circumstances. We don't, we don't get how much power and eternal value comes out of our breathing, okay? Just breathing, even someone in a coma can be building palaces in the next world for themselves, so to speak, okay? Not palace, whatever, okay, good, here, right. <laughs> but, but, there is such a thing as a life that's not worth living, and that would be one, okay? So, no, the answer is they were wrong. By the way, you can see, uh, I've always wondered, by the way, what is the common theme of those two, what's the common thing of those two sins? What happened with the Suda of Ahasuerus? Ahasuerus says, wow, 70 years. We had this whole creepy thing with the hand on the wall, right? In Belshazzar's time already, 70 years. The empire's going to fall apart. The Jews are going to go back. And it didn't happen. Now I feel like I'm more secure. 
I can unite this kingdom and let's celebrate that. I'm going to invite everybody from all over the kingdom to come to this huge Suda. We're going to use the Kalim from the Beis HaMikdash. I'm going to wear Kohen Gadol clothes. The Jews will come. It'll be amazing. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating the unification of the kingdom. We're celebrating that we're all together. And you know, it was a constitutional monarchy, so everyone had equal rights, so to speak, such as they were. They were equal under the law. There were laws. Even the king, you can see, is restricted by laws in, in Persia, That even then. And um, the Jews should come, and we'll serve you whatever you want to do, because you, you have a place in this party. You have a place in this kingdom. This is your home. We're all together. I'll be the king. And you, and Mordechai and the Chachamim said, it wasn't only Mordechai, said, no, you can't go. They said, well, it, it's kosher, and they'll put us in a separate room so we don't have to sit with the prostitutes. And it's not so bad. And they'll be careful, like they'll only have Jewish people serving wine. So we don't have to worry about, you know, stam yenam. And um, what's the problem? The music. There was no music. Right, I was going to say, there's like a whole thing. There was no music. Okay, what is the problem with going to the Suda Vachashverosh? The problem is you are celebrating Golas. Going there is saying, yeah, we're, we're part of this country too. You are not part of this country. You are not part of this empire. Are you here? Yes. Are you going to have to figure out how to deal with it? Yes. You don't bow down to it. You don't buy into it. That's not, okay, it's, it's, a similar, it's a similar kind of argument, meaning since we don't see God's hand here, we feel that we have to go along with, we have to suck up to the person in power. I could understand everything. Of course we can. So much sense. Of like, course I we can understand, understand it, right? We have to, yeah, it's, well, we're still doing it today. If we don't see God's hand here. No, no, it's we, wrong. It's wrong. Because, no, but, but that's how, where it comes from. But, how, but I think that today we don't that. necessarily say that we don't see God's hand, even though it's not clearly. But we, like, we would also maybe take those kinds of actions because we think it's the right thing. We think God wants us to do that. Maybe, yes. We so might think. I don't, why do you like say that they didn't see God's hand, uh-huh. therefore they do it? Maybe they think that that's what they're meant to do so in order to I make know, the right connections. It seems like that's the what, no, that is what they thought. No, sorry. So what you're saying is saying better what I'm trying to say. But the yeah. Meaning that they felt that since God's hand is not visible here, they didn't think God was disappeared. Maybe These are people who lived in the time of the Beis Hamikdash. They'd seen miracles. They were contrasting it to that. They're they saying were. like we had we had a life where there were prophets. There's still prophets, and yet here we are. We're dumped out over here. Clearly, what we need to do is go with the flow, like the nations. That's what people thought. Like, we have to do it the way the nations do it. We're now chucked out of being in Israel. Therefore, they thought, so we don't have a one-on-one relationship with God going here. It must be indirect like everybody else. So how do you get things done? They say bow down, you bow down. It's not because we believe it. You bow down. They say come to the party, you come to the party. You don't buck the UN, right? The president invites you to the White House. You go to the White House. You don't say I'm not interested in you. I don't think you're in power. You say... I need to, I need to go, I need to give you honor. I'm actually kind of honored to be invited to the White House. And, you know, and, and that's how we're going to work things, right? We're going to do it through that. It, it's not to say there isn't a place for Askanos. Mordechai becomes the ultimate Askan in a way, right? Much to the chagrin of the rest of the Sanhedrin. But, but let, let me go on because I think it's interesting the way it unfolds. But, but the way I interpreted it here was not my interpretation. It's what I heard from Rabbi Gordon. Can I just ask one question? So you can ask Is him. It, um, <laughs> Rabbi Yisrael Gordon. I heard him speak. It's very good. Rabbi okay. yeah. who? Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. Okay. I better go. Because oh, no, but is it that, we're that gonna they were that I'm they enjoyed just gonna give you questions. themselves or that they went? So it sounds like it's because they enjoyed themselves. Okay. It was somehow the pleasure of it. But that's not so much the topic. Okay. But that's a, a separate, very okay. interesting topic. Okay. All right. Now, we, I, we have covered this topic before, which is a different essay of Pachad Yitzchak Amporim, where he talks about there are two ways to recognize Hashem. 
Hashem as in Anochi, that there is a presence of what Rav Hirsch would put in quotes, personality of God, meaning that God, a, a sense of God actually being present in our lives. There is Anochi Hashem Elokecha Asher Eretz Mitzrayim. I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. That's open miracles. You can see God, God's actions coming right and left and absolutely overturning the laws of nature. And you can recognize there is a God, there is someone who created these laws of nature and who controls them and who is interested in the deeds of man and what goes on with them and is looking for justice, okay, and who loves his people. And then there's Anochi Haster Astir Panai. I shall surely hide my face on that day. <coughs> and that's another way to find God and to recognize him, which is, of course, what's going on with Purim. Because the Gemara asks, and I made a semi-piece of a source sheet, but not copies of it. Okay, the Gemara asks in probably in Megillah, right? Nope, Hulin, Koflamates, Haman min ha-Torah minayin. Where do you see a hint about Haman in the Torah? Hamin ha-Eitz. Did you eat from the tree? Okay. Hashem says, who told you that you were naked? Hamin Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? Hamin is the same letters as Haman. And where do we see a hint to Esther? I shall surely hide my face on that day uh, because of all the bad that they have done, that they have turned to other gods. Can I just point out that you hear both of, both of the opinions there of the sin? And the first one, it's, did you eat what I told you not to eat? Mm. Yeah. And the second one is, you worshipped other idols. You turned in the direction of other gods. Well, by eating. Well, it's, kind it's of, two verses, right? No, I was saying, like, for, for the Megillah, in the Megillah. It, yeah, by eating. By yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's, those two, it's those two things. Okay. All right. So that, Haman is, did you eat from the tree? The Maharal says, and he, he gives sort of the preface to it is like in the Derech Chaim, which is his commentary on Pirkei Avos, and then he's got a further explanation in the Or Chadash, which is a commentary on Megillus Esther. He says, the purpose, the purpose of a Geula, we, we've had occasion to talk many times about what the purpose is of suffering or pain or galus or darkness, right? What's the purpose of a redemption? And I got to tell you, I had never asked myself that question. Never. Why? Because it seems obvious. What do you mean? The purpose of redemption is to stop my pain. <laughs> that seemed obvious. Well, I can't say I'd ever gone as far as that. I'm not where you're holding. And I, I think if I had ever thought about the question, it was just like, yeah, the purpose of the Geula is relief from the pain. Mm -hmm. That's not the purpose of Geula, obviously. Like it's so obvious because Geula is a goal. Golus is a means to getting to Geula, by the way. Okay, I'm going to share this with you. I did not see this inside anywhere. I just noticed it. Golus means legalot. Some of this is based on reverse. Some of it isn't. It's a mishmash, right, what I'm going to tell you. Legalot, to reveal. Legalgel is to roll, to keep on going over. Legalot is to reveal. The root of it is gimel lamed. Geula is also Gimulamid. It's just that there's an Aleph inside, in the middle. Okay, what is that? Aleph is the revelation of Anochius, of Anochi. Legalot, the process of Galus, is a process of revealing the Aleph that is actually in the middle of the Galus, and yet you cannot see it. When you can see it, it's not Gimulamid of Galus, it's Gimul Aleph Lamid, it's Geula. We say it in Halinu every day. That's the purpose of Geula. That's right. The per is to there should be a tikkun of the world, and everyone should recognize that there is God. That is in fact the right, which is why my subconscious feeling that the purpose of geula. I hadn't asked myself the question that the purpose of geula is to relieve the pain is not true. It's false because geula is a goal. It's a destination. Golus is a path to the goal. There was an easier path. It's not the one we're on. <laughs> we're on the Gaulist path. Okay? But it is a means to getting to Geula. So what is the purpose of Geula? The purpose of Geula is the recognition of Anochius. The ability for the Hashem, for the whole world to experience and know the presence of God in the world. That is where we are headed, and that is the purpose of it all. 
So the purpose of Yeshua, the purpose of salvation is that God's hand be recognized in the world. Okay, but this leads us, this leads us, this, the Maharal in walking through this very, very rigorously and logically as always, then finds something very, very important that can easily escape our notice. Now this is brought in a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, a, a Mishnah-like Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. Mishnah-like statement in Pirkei Avos. <coughs> the Torah is acquired in 48 ways. Right? You've heard about this. There's no Weinberg, right? 48 ways of acquiring Torah. Like, okay. The 48th of them is Ha'omer Davar B'Shem Omro. It's kind of like the peak, right? Ha'omer Davar B'Shem Omro. One who says something over in the name of the one who said it. Citing your sources. Mm-hmm. That's the 48th way to acquire, of acquiring Torah or acquired with Torah. How do you know that? Because Shekol HaOmer Davar B'Shem Omro, whoever says something over in the name of the one who said it, maybe Geula LaOlam brings Geula, redemption, Geula, revelation of Aleph, right? Revelation of Anochias into the world. How do we know? Vatomer Esther LaMelech B'Shem Mordechai. Because Esther told it over to the king in the name of Mordechai. Okay, number one, I, could we just be all blown away by the yeah. fact that the 48th level of acquiring Torah, you learn it out from a woman? Sorry, <laughs> could I just throw that out there? <laughs> is there okay. a numerical gematria to that too? Yes, of course, it's the Maharal. 48 is Moach, is mind, never mind, anyway. <laughs> okay, I can't pretend I, I know that, but I did see it on my way through this Maharal, <laughs> okay? He, he didn't neglect to cover that. All right. Where is Esther in the Torah? I shall surely hide my face. What does Esther do? She says it over in the name of the one who said it. In other words, she made a statement where you couldn't see. She could have allowed it to just be attributed to herself. There's no need to complicate the matter. Just tell Ahasuerush that Big Sun and Sarish are plotting against him. And if it goes to her credit, fine. That's only good for everybody. Is Mordechai going to lose out if Esther has the credit? No, he'll probably gain, right? Also, she but she doesn't. Them finding out that she's... Yeah, like, what do you have to do with Mordechai anyway? Yeah. yeah, okay. You're right. That's a very big risk. I never even thought of that. Okay. And yet, she said it over in the name. What was the power of that? First of all, what was the geula? Sorry, this is a very interesting question. It's brought out from the fact that she revealed it. And Rabbi Gordon pointed out, you could take an exacto knife and cut that whole thing out of the Megillah and the plot would still flow. Meaning you could take out the part about Big Sun and Seresh, not tell us about it, I'm not saying it didn't have to happen, right? Not tell us about it, not tell us about Mordechai reporting it to Esther, not tell us that Esther reported it to Mordechai, not tell us about the king wondering about it and having it in the book, and not tell us about the whole thing with Haman coming and taking Mordechai around on the horse. I mean, it's, it's great. It like, makes you laugh after all the tension in the story. right? It's very amusing. It's exciting. it's exciting. It's fun. But the truth is, you could have left it out. You could just go from the first party to the second party, where she says, he wants to kill us. right? He's out to get me. You... The geula that was brought about by Esther, saying it over in the name of Mordechai, does not appear to be a redemption. And not only that, does not appear to be necessary to the story of Purim. Well... It do, I mean, it's a great piece. But him on the horse and Haman, I mean, it wouldn't have happened if he didn't. That's right. But where is the redemption? The Jews were not redeemed through that. And by no, the way, Zeresh sees point. it that way. You know? Zeresh sees, she says right away, the wife of Haman says, if that man's a Jew, you are, you're done for. And he's done for. He's dead within hours. But it has a different purpose. Clearly it does. The Levush is like, the whole thing is like, okay. why does it spend so much time in the Megillah talking about their clothing. Right, so we're going to get to it. Okay. We're going to get to it, of course. But the question is a real question, which is we love that part of the story. Everybody loves that part of the story, right? right? (laughs) But what is the redemption? It's a real question. This is the proof that if you say something in the name of someone else, you bring redemption to the world. What redemption? That piece does not, on the surface of it, appear to have brought any actual redemption. So here's what the Maharal says. The Maharal says that Esther, 
And, a and he, there's a lot of detail and a lot of logical steps to lead to it and all of that, that Esther, in saying something over, attributing a statement to the person who made it, is bringing about a power of revealing the true source of things. Saying something over in the name of the one who said it is a revealing, a putting out into where it's visible, the hidden source of something. When she does that, she becomes a fitting tool, a fitting vessel for Geula. Because the purpose of Geula is to reveal that God is present in the world. And Geula, the, the purpose of it is that, which means that if people will not praise God for Geula, it's the Maharal says this, okay? This is not me assuming out of the Maharal, this is the Maharal says this, then there's no point in making a Geula. If people are not going to praise God for their redemption, then there is no point in God redeeming them. Terrifying. Okay, on the bright side, we could infer <laughs> that if they do, there is. Okay, which means that the kol ha-omer davar b'shem omro, attributing things to their true source, is what brings Geula to the world. Esther becomes a fitting vessel for Geula to be activated. Yeah? Okay. Why? Because as a person who attributes things to their source, even though that source was hidden, then that's suitable. If we bring a Geula through her, we know that she will say, not that it was my own might and strength, my clever working out, my powerful prayers, Right? We don't think we would say it's because we're so mighty, but we might say, oh, I daven so well. I fasted so hard. I was Moser Nefesh. That's why it happened. It was God. It's Hashem doing all of this. I mean, she gets the point of why have you abandoned me, God, right? Like it's that bad. She just not taking credit. She knows it's only the hand of God, and she has proven that she will always attribute it to where really the power comes from. And now the Geula can come. Okay, so what is the Geula that comes from her saying that? Haman comes in, he comes, he, he, he goes home, he's got everything. He tells his family, I have everything. I have all the money in the world. I have the king's ring on my finger. I can do anything I want to. Everyone has to bow down to me, and it's worth nothing if Mordechai won't bow down to me. So we don't have time to explore how that fits into this storyline, although it does, right? His whole life has no value without that, right? He has to be acknowledged as the man in power. You are the most powerful man in the world. And if one person doesn't say, I'm the most powerful man in the world, then it all doesn't count, right? It's all undermined. Totally it's the opposite. opposite. It's the opposite of attributing power where it truly resides. Okay. So he comes in, and his wife says, so go ask to kill Mordechai. Just go now. Get it off your head, you know? Like, never mind that you're favored by everyone, and the queen seems to be partial to you, too. Just get it over with. So he goes. He's waiting for Achashverosh. Achashverosh can't sleep because he is now suspicious that possibly Haman and Esther are conspiring against him because this is weird. You don't invite some other guy to your exciting first, like, hosting of your husband. That's just not normal, okay? Maybe they're conspiring against me, the king thinks. Um... But surely somebody would have overheard. I mean, there's always servants and people who overhear stuff, and people forget they're actually people. There's lots of mysteries that are written about that principle, right? I don't know. Agatha Christie's got that, where the murderer is the mailman, and nobody notices him, or the servants that are standing there, right? Nobody thinks of them as people. Somebody would have told me. Why haven't I been tipped off? Perhaps people think that it's not worth the risk, because if you tip someone off, somebody else is going to be really mad at you. Okay? If you tip off the king, there's somebody who would like to do away with you now. But I reward people. Maybe I didn't reward anyone. Go look it up. They look it up. And it says, Esther said that Mordechai said, right? And just then Haman is at the door. They say, guess what? Haman's here. He says, okay, send him in. And he says, Haman, 
what should I do if I want to honor somebody? And Haman says, you should put the king's crown on his head and you should put the king's clothes on him and you should put him on the king's horse. Now, I don't know what you know about kings. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> In those days, if you thought that the palace was going to be overrun by an invading army, you slaughtered the horses, you slaughtered the women. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. You slaughtered every woman in the harem. They are the king's property. And no man sleeps with a king's wife. No man sits on a king's horse. No man wears a king's crown. Okay, so Ahasuerus is like, you do want to be the king, don't you? I guess so. Go do that to Mordechai. Okay, so this is a chiddush that I heard from Rabbi Gordon that is mind-boggling. Which Rabbi Gordon is this? Yisrael Gordon. Sandy, you know Sandy Gordon? Yeah, her, her husband. husband. Yeah, he um, gave an amazing share last night. And this really tied together all these other things from Maharal and from Parad Yitzchak. Here's what he said. He said, what happened when Haman took Mordechai out on the horse? Because this is supposed to be the skuula, right? The redemption that, that Esther has triggered by attributing to the source. What happens is Mordechai's out there. He's got a crown, a king's crown on his head. He's wearing royal clothing. He's on a royal horse. And everyone has to cheer and throw their hats in the air and throw flowers at him and bow down to him for all I know. Not that he would want that, right? He looks like a king, and they got to treat him like a king. Does anyone think he's a king? No. Why? Because Haman's out there shouting, this is what we do to a man that the king wants to honor. He looks like a king. you got to treat him like a king, yes. But do you think he has the power of a king? No. He looks like a king. Why? Because the real king said, treat him like a king. And the Jews are out in the street, and the Jews see this. They see Mordechai is dressed like a king. It should have been Haman up there. It should have been Haman on the horse. That would have actually been pretty normal, <laughs> the way Haman's going. It should have been Haman. It's Mordechai. And he looks like a king. And they realize what? They realize that whoever it is who's wearing that crown, whoever it is who's wearing that robe, whoever it is who's on that horse, he looks like a king, and he's got power that looks like a king, but he doesn't have any power. It's because God put that power in him. This is what we do to a man that the king, God, wants to honor. God wants you to honor him, so, so honor him. But you know it isn't true. You know the power isn't his. You attribute the power to where it really belongs, even though it's hidden. And as soon as that happens, okay, that can only happen because of Esther. Because of what Esther did in attributing the source correctly, now the Jews have a chance to have a tikkun. It's a repair of the damage. And as soon as that happens, vayivahalu, now the soldiers come, and they're in a big rush, and they grab Haman, and they grab him to Esther, and she points at him, and Achashverosh is off with his head and off. It's over. They're redeemed. The salvation really came because of this thing with going around on the horse. Even though there isn't an obvious connection in terms of the events, there's an obvious connection in terms of what happened inside the people. That they looked and they said, it's Hashem's hand acting. That is not normal. It looks like a natural event, and yet, that is not possible. We just saw Mordechai an hour ago. He was wearing a sackcloth and ashes. He's been fasting for three days. He's saying to him, he's sitting on that horse trying to have Kavana with his Tehillim still. Right? That is not possible. That could only happen if really God's hand is intervening directly in our lives, but it's not open miracles. It's just who God is manipulating around, and he's giving that person the power. And you know what? An hour ago, Haman had all that power. Now, it's Mordechai. And in a minute... Two hours, Haman's gone. He's out. It happens like that. You know, Yeshua Hashem Keherifayin? It happened like that. And it's all Haomer Davar B'Shem Omro, maybe Geulah Olam. I just want to do a little wrapping up, but try and remember, okay? So, this lesson, this is like a, a, a quantum shift in thinking. It's the quantum shift of thinking that takes us from a life that we knew 
of over a thousand years of knowing God through Anochi Hashem Lokecha Sheretz Yisicha Me'eretz Mitzrayim and learning that we could also know God through Anochi Aster Aster Panai. I shall surely hide my face. And through this we can still know him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So the last thing I just wanted to say was the Shoshanas Yaakov. It gives such a different insight and this is based on what I heard from Rabbi Leff and I realized that this is the lesson that comes out from what we just talked about. This, whole, this song of Shoshanas Yaakov, which I think dates at least to the time of the Gemara. It's very, very ancient. It's not like a modern piot. The, the flower of Jacob, right? Tzahalava Samecha rejoiced and was happy. Bir Osam Yachad, when they all saw together Techelas Mordechai. The robes, the blue robes, the royal garments of Mordechai. That's when they rejoiced. That is the redemption. That is the moment of redemption. Why? Not because they were, you couldn't see the redemption quite yet, but the redemption had happened in the people. The change had happened. And from then on, it was literally a matter of hours. That redemption, that salvation was forever. It was forever because it's a change in our understanding of how we're going to relate to God in the world. That keeps going on for all generations. Vetikvasam and their hope, which is from the root of the word kav, a line, which the Maharal says is because it means tikva, hope, is drawing a straight line to the source of where your salvation comes. That's what tikva is. It's drawing a line to where you know it, the, the help is, even though you can't see it. Okay, tikvasam bechol dor And their hope that they had then, that line that they drew then, extends out to all the generations afterward in this. Lehodia, to make known through experience that you know for sure, you know it in your gut because you've been there. Shekol kovecha, that all who draw their line to you, all who hope to you, lo yevoshu, will not be disappointed in that hope. Velo yikamu won't be wiped out forever. I'm guessing it's the source of costumes is techeles Mordechai. Because that is the message. I, you hear people talk about it all the time, the message, because everything was so different from how it seemed. This is like the inner meaning of everything being different from how it seemed, is you got to see it for how it really is. It's not that you have to hide it. It's that the lesson of Purim is learning how to relate to God past the costume, past whatever seems to be on the surface. And it's back to Hamina And it's back to Hamina Because Hades. you said Hamina Aids, right? How do you know that you're naked? Because Who they told were covered you? in this light. Yeah, yeah. And so now that they're naked, and now the Lelouch is Things back, are revealed, things are not revealed. Yeah, yeah. Covered. It's, it's really a ratification of like everything.